You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Well, good morning. Um, wonderful to be together. If you're new here, I want to welcome you especially. My name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if we've not met, I hope I get an opportunity to meet you soon. We're really thrilled that you would be with us uh, for worship today. I want to let you know that last week we launched a series for the fall. So we, we um, kind of do our ministry year like a school year. And so the first week of school each year, we sort of announce a new theme. And we did that last week. So we're in a, in a short series right now called The Beautiful Community, A Mess Worth Making, and that sort of ties to the theme for the year. So last week, we looked at Revelation 7, and here's what we saw, that in heaven, God has a multi-ethnic multitude of, of a family. He says there are people in Revelation 7, there are people from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every tongue every language that is, joined together to worship Christ. And so we said, if that's where we're headed, if that's what God is building uh, right now, that, that sort of uh, multi-ethnic kingdom family, if that's where we're headed, then let's address that this year. Let's address what it means to be a multi-ethnic family, to reach a multi-ethnic city with the gospel, to have a burden for the nations across the world that need to hear the gospel. And so with that in mind, we said, you know, this year we want this to be our theme, that we are learning to love cross-culturally, that we're learning to love people who are different than us, They may be in this church, they may be across the street from you or at the apartment next door to you, Um, they they may be across the world, but we want to learn to love cross-culturally starting at home right here, Uh, and so that's what we're really going to be focusing on at various times throughout the year, that's what we're launching with. So normally, if you're new here, we actually teach through books of the Bible, that's what we do, it's called expository preaching or expositional preaching, it's just working away through books of the Bible. We're not doing that in this series, but what I'm doing today is going to be different. I'm going to teach the whole Bible today. Now, this, is not, this sermon will not be longer. It's shorter. First service, it was shorter, a fair bit shorter than last week. So, I'm, but I'm going to do the whole Bible. Um, I'm going to start with Genesis and go to Revelation and tell you the story of uh, God's story of unity in diversity. Because what we're talking about this this series and this year, I believe, maps onto the storyline of Scripture. If you're new to the Bible, you may not know this. The Bible is one story. There's one continuous story about God saving a people for himself. Within that big story, there's all kinds of little stories that attach to it. Those are found in the various books of the Bible. So I want to look at the big story of the Bible today and see how this idea of what we're talking about. Last week, we did the end of the story. There's this multi-ethnic family gathered in, in heaven. So I'm going to go back to the beginning and, get, and talk through the story, and we'll end up where we were last week at the end. So we're going to start with creation. And what we see in creation is that God, in Genesis 1, creates everything by the word of his power. And on the sixth day of creation, he does it in seven days, on the sixth day of creation, it's the pinnacle of creation. Because on the sixth day, he creates humans. And this is what it says in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what we see from the very beginning, he creates Adam and Eve, what we see from the very beginning is that God personally creates people. No one is an accident. God has personally created you and has created me. And and because of that, that's why every person has dignity and value, because they're created by God. Now, the text doesn't just say God created us. That'd be wonderful. Actually says more. He says in verse uh, 26 that he created us in our image after our likeness, speaking in the plural because God is one being, One God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's speaking in the plural here and saying, uh, in our image, after our likeness. Verse 27 says that again, God created man in his own image. So this doesn't mean we are gods or little gods. We are not gods or little gods. Uh, We are creation, and he is the creator. However, he created us in his image, in his likeness. So there are things about us that are like God. For instance, we're distinguished from the rest of creation because we can reason. We have intelligence. Uh, and so we're, that's like the image of God. We are relational. Father and Son and Holy Spirit relate. We are relational. We can love and, and care and build relationships. That's like God as well. He says that they are to rule over the earth, to have dominion over the creation. And so God gives us dominion. He is the ultimate ruler, but he delegates to us, humans, to rule over the creation. So that's what it means that we're in in God's image. And it's so important that we are created in God's image. It's so important to get that because that's why devaluing another person is wrong. Everybody's created in the image of God. So to devalue another is to devalue the work of God. We don't devalue other people. We don't devalue individuals, and we don't devalue groups of people. This is why we're created in the image of God. This is why, for instance, racism is wrong. It's wrong because God created that group of people and that group of people and that group of people in his image. God created that nation and that nation, the people of those nations in his image. God created the people that speak that language and that language in his image. So if we devalue a group of people and believe that one race is superior or better than any other, or one nation is superior than other people, that we as people of this nation are superior to people in another nation, then we are, we are devaluing the work of God. This is an affront to God. It's rooted in creation. I mean, if you don't believe in creation, that people just, however we got here, then there really is no good reason not to believe that your people or your nation are better than someone else. I mean, what does it matter if we all just showed up here by random chance? The whole reason that that idea is sinful is because it's an affront to the God of the universe who created personally every person and stamped them with his image. So we want to consider this is where the story starts. Everyone created with dignity and value. Now, in chapter 3, everything goes wrong. And don't get nervous. I'm not going to teach every chapter of the Bible. I'm going to do like whole testaments really quick. Most of the Old Testament, most of the New, I'm going to do like that. But the beginning of the story is important to get because it sets the trajectory. So 
uh, in chapter 3, everything goes wrong. The first couple, Adam and Eve, rebel against God. And when they rebel against God, their relationship with God is broken and their relationship with one another is broken. And so what happens after that is all relationships are among broken people and they're challenging and difficult. As a matter of fact, their own kids, one of their sons murders the other one. So it goes really bad, really fast in the next generation because of sin. Sin comes into the world, death comes into the world. Well, what happens in, say, the next eight chapters or so, seven or eight chapters of Genesis, is that people get worse and worse and worse. And at one point it says that all people are doing evil all the time. And so God brings judgment, and he destroys creation, but saves one family. He saves Noah and his family. And so from Noah's children, there are other generations that come. So one, one question that I, I think is, in, is interesting is to say, after Noah, that, that's the only family on the earth and a bunch of animals, but that's the only family on earth. So after him, how did we get all these languages? How do we get all these nations? How do we get all these tribes and people groups? And however you want to divide people up, the Bible uses all those terms. How do we get all this difference and diversity on the planet? With There was only one family. How did that happen? Well, Genesis 11 tells us how that happened. Genesis 11, the first verse says, the whole earth had one language in the same words. So sometime after Noah, everybody's speaking one language. And uh, they, this people concocts a plan. And it's in verse 4 of chapter 11. They say, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So they say, look, rather than be fruitful and multiply and fill all the earth, that's what God said, that's the commission that we all have that, that he says at the beginning of Genesis. They say this, we're all speaking the same language, check us out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a city. We're not going to go anywhere. We're going to build this great city, quote, to make a name for ourselves. We're not going to acknowledge God. We're going to build the tower and show that you can reach God on your own. It, it's a monument to human achievement. It's a monument to human arrogance, this tower, which becomes called the Tower of Babel. It's this monument to self-sufficiency. It's this monument to pride. We're going to make a name for ourselves. What does God do? God's not very blessed by that approach, and so God comes down, and he brings judgment, and here is the judgment. The, the, chapter 11 tells us that he confuses the one language, and so they all start speaking different languages, and he disperses the people over the face of the earth. So they are spread apart from this one city, Babel, and they are spread apart everywhere, and what we learn from that story is that pride let us make a name for ourselves. Pride always brings division. Pride, arrogance, uh, you know, rebellion against God, not acknowledging God, it always brings division, and it divides them into their various languages spread all over the world. Now, here's the thing about God. He created everybody, and God is loving, we see throughout the Scripture. So God does judge them and does separate them, but as soon as he separates them, the next chapter... He brings a promise 
that he's going to bring the nations together. And it's a promise by he selects a guy named Abram, who later becomes named Abraham. He selects him, and, he's, and he promises this great thing he's going to do for and through Abraham. So this, now we're in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So judgment and separation, different languages, immediately God comes to a guy and says, listen, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to give you a land, and from you, all the world, the families, the nations, all the people of the world are going to be blessed from this family. Well, that land and that family is called Israel. And so God comes down and makes a covenant with one guy and says, I'm going to build a nation from you and bless the world. So it's so important. Oftentimes, we read the Old Testament and we don't really get the purpose of Israel. The purpose of Israel is to walk with God to demonstrate the character and the nature of God, so all the nations want to worship the same God they do. Israel is elect. Israel is chosen not just to be blessed in and of themselves, but to reach the nations. This is not a New Testament concept. This starts at the beginning. The beginning is Genesis 12. I'm going to make you a nation through you. All the families of the earth, all the people of the world will be blessed through you. So he scatters them, but he immediately says, I'm going to bless them all. Isn't that a good God to see what he does there? So uh, here's what he does. Now we move faster. He gives this people, Israel, a law. They have religious uh, ways that they are to honor the Lord in cultural ways that are sort of separate them out from the nations. He calls them to go to this land. He provides this land for them. And he says, now do the law. All that stuff I told you to do, do that here. And as you do it, the nations will look on and say, this group of people is peculiar. They are different. They are to be different to make a difference so that everyone will look and say, oh, that's what God's like. We want to worship your God. This is beautiful. You are a society that is just. You are a society that, is, uh, that, that acts in love, and you're a society that honors this God. We want to know this God. Yahweh is his name, the God of the Bible. So that's what they're supposed to do, but it just doesn't work out that way. They get in the land, and instead of being different, they start imitating the practices of everyone around them. They start worshiping all these gods of all the nations around them. And a big chunk of the Old Testament is just the people of God messing up, worshiping other gods, running away from God, and God brings numbers of loving acts of discipline, judgment to his people, uh, even having them taken off to live in, in Babylon, for instance, in foreign lands, so that they will repent and be the people he called them to be. But the point I'm wanting you to get is this, that in the storyline of the Bible, God has always had a heart for the multitude of people, the, the, the nations, the languages. God has had a, a heart for all of them and has always had a plan to bring them together and to bless them. That has always been the strategy. And you see this even in their worship. You see this even in their worship. So the book of Psalms is the book of worship of the people of God, Israel. And you see there that they're not just concentrating on themselves. 
They are singing about God working at various points. They're singing about God reaching the nation. So here's, here's an example, Psalm 67. Probably many of us are not thinking about Israel singing this song. We just think of them as the Jewish people. But here's what they're singing. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Selah, which means pause. No surprise there. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. They're gathered to worship and they're singing, God, we want everyone to know you. Let all peoples worship you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Sometimes people critique modern worship and say the music's too repetitive. It's no more repetitive than this right here. They're saying over and over, the nations, all the people, praise you, bless you. It's, it's repetitive for emphasis. The earth has yielded its increase, O God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Do you get this? God, as you bless us, all the ends of the earth will fear you and say, this is a great God. It's, it's woven into the DNA of Israel that they are to be a people for the peoples. They are to be a people blessed so that all peoples are blessed. This does not come at the Great Commission. It comes back at the call to Abraham. I'm going to bless you so that the nations will be blessed. Well, much more could be said about Israel, but we don't have time to drop into all, all, of, all of the history of Israel. Just getting the idea that they exist to reach the world. Well, how does that happen? Through Israel comes Jesus Christ. God himself becomes man, fully God, fully man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one that comes to be the blessing to the nations, but he comes through Israel, the people of Israel. Now, the story of Jesus, which maps onto this big story that goes, you know, from beginning to end, Jesus is uh, central. He is the central figure in the whole story. He's the hero of the whole story. And we get a very interesting uh, account of Jesus's life in Matthew. So there's four gospels that tell the story of Jesus. But Matthew is particularly interesting because here's how Matthew opens his gospel, his story of Jesus. He starts not with Jesus. He starts with Abraham. And this is what he says. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. That's verse two. And then he gives this long lineage. But any Jew reading that would go, okay, where are we starting? Oh, we're starting with the blessing of Abraham. Oh, are you going to tell us about the one who brings the blessing of Abraham? You would get your cues from the very beginning of this if you read this as, as a Jewish person. Oh, he's going to start with Abraham. How does the gospel of Matthew continue? He tells the life story of Jesus. He tells preeminently about Jesus' uh, teaching, but preeminently about his death and his resurrection. Jesus dies for our sins, and this is all found foreshadowed in the Old Testament. They sacrificed animals for the forgiveness of their sins. God uh, symbolically punished the animal so that the person could go free. And Jesus is the Lamb of God. He doesn't symbolically. He actually punishes Jesus for our sins. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. He is buried, and then he is raised to new life. And then he gathers, all starts with Abraham, then he gathers his, belief, his followers together, and what does he tell them? He says, this is your commission. This is my final words to you. Go and make disciples 
of all nations. The Gospel of Matthew is beautiful. It begins with Abraham, the promise to Abraham. We find out, oh, this is the one that he's going to send, and he ends with, go to all the nations. It is, it is the promise of Abraham fulfilled. You read the Gospel of Matthew, and you say, oh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12. It's one story, and he is the hero. So after that, what happens in the story, after Jesus, Jesus leaves, uh, but before he leaves, uh, he gives a message to uh, his followers in the book of Acts. And this is what he says in Acts 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now we read that and go, is that like saying from Frisco to Sherman to Oklahoma, the ends of the earth, if you live in Texas, is Oklahoma. The ends of the earth is Oklahoma, Louisiana, and New Mexico. But uh, we're shattering, it's hard for me to say, i got to repent too, we're shattering Texas pride this year, Texas arrogance, and we're saying Jesus is for the nations, uh, and uh, so beyond there. So, but he's not just giving random cities here. He's saying, here's what's going to happen. The Spirit of God is going to come to you. And the Spirit of God, we find out, is actually going to live inside you. And here's what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit lives in you. Here's how, how you're going to know the Holy Spirit comes. You're going to go over, and you're going to tell people, you're going to love them, and you're going to tell people in Samaria about me. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans, they are like this. There are walls of division, culturally, religiously. They are separate people. Jews don't like the Samaritans. Samaritans don't like the Jews. And what Jesus says is when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to give you power and you're going to walk through and the Spirit is going to shatter that cultural barrier and you're going to cross a cultural line and love a people and tell them about me. This is the sign the Holy Spirit has come. Is you, you're gonna, Our theme for the year, you're going to learn to love cross-culturally. You're going to cross this cultural man-made barrier, and you are going to love them by telling them about Jesus. And that must have blown their minds. He's saying when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to eradicate your prejudice about this people. He's going to tear down your prejudice and your assumptions. You assume God may not love those people like he loves you, and the Holy Spirit is going to tear that down when he comes in your heart. He is going to dash cultural barriers. He is going to join a new people together, Jew and Gentile, Samaritan, everybody in Jesus Christ. Anybody who believes in Jesus, joined together. And what we're going to see in the book of Acts as this progresses is that to say Jesus is Lord means he is Lord. My allegiance to him is, my, is higher than my allegiance to anyone else. He's saying to them there, your allegiance to Jesus must be greater than your allegiance to your people. Your allegiance to Jesus must be greater than your allegiance to your nation. Your allegiance to Jesus must be greater to, than your allegiance to people of the same race as you. Jesus even said, your allegiance to Jesus must be greater than your allegiance to your family. Matter of fact, Jesus says, your allegiance to Jesus must be greater if you're married than your allegiance to your spouse. For he says, there will be no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven. 
Your allegiance to Jesus must be greater than everything else. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's going to get messy. It's going to get chaotic because people that you did not relate with, people that never would be at your dinner table, you're going to start loving them. You're going to go to the ends of the earth. That means the nations. That means Gentiles, unspeakable Jews. They thought Gentiles were dogs. That was the kind of language used. Well, guess what? You're going to go love them and be joined with them. You're going to be under their leadership. You're going to have some Gentile pastors in some of your churches. It's going to get really crazy really fast when the Holy Spirit comes because in Jesus, he's going to call all his followers to serve him and him alone, and he's going to unite his people in them. That's what he says is going to happen. So this statement is mind-bending for the people there. Well, the next chapter, it gets crazy. Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost, and people from all various nations, Jews from different nations, are in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And what the Lord does is he pours out the Holy Spirit, and his followers start speaking loudly in languages they do not know. It's called speaking in tongues. They're speaking in languages they do not know, and all the people around them are hearing them speaking languages. They couldn't even know these. How are they speaking those languages? But I hear them, and they're speaking about the works of God. This is what happens. So he promises the Spirit's coming. Here's how he comes, Acts 2, verses 5 through 11. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound, the multitude, and, the, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to, the Cyrene, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This is like a listing of very diverse listing of people. We're not going to go, we're not putting a map and tracing all that, but they're all over the place, very different cultures, different languages, and they're saying, we're hearing about the work of God here. So the day of Pentecost, God is reaching a vast group with the message of Jesus. Remember back in the story of the Bible earlier, Babel, the Tower of Babel, one language and they were all separated. At Babel, arrogant people tried to make a name for themselves and built a tower to reach God on their own terms. God judged them, confused their languages, divided them, and scattered them. But at Pentecost, when he poured out his Holy Spirit, he empowers his people to miraculously declare the gospel in languages they don't know, and he unifies people in Jesus Christ. You see, Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. In the story, there is this separation that happens, happens at Babel, but through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, there is a gathering of people to be one in Jesus in Acts chapter 2. It's a beautiful picture because it tells us that the gospel transcends racial barriers, national barriers, language barriers. The, the gospel draws all kinds of people into an eternal multi-ethnic family in Christ. 
And the book of Acts will go on to tell chapter by chapter about how that 1-8 was rolled out, how they went to Samaria, how they went to the ends of the earth with the gospel. It's beautiful. The whole book of Acts is about the gospel going forth and reaching people, and it's one chapter of another of the gospel shattering barriers that divide people and building them together in multi-ethnic churches. Many of the cities in Acts are far more diverse than this city. This is a diverse city, but far more diverse. Some of them are more like New York City or something like that, L.A., that, that kind of uh, diversity, and God plants in those cities. Antioch is one of those. God plants in those cities, and he builds a multi-ethnic people for his glory, and from those churches are planted other churches. It's, it's a beautiful picture. And when we finish this series that we're in, in the middle of September, we're going to teach through the whole book of Acts. So that's where we're headed next so that we can see how God does that. Well, what about the letters of the New Testament? Is this really the saying it's the storyline of the Bible of people? We start, everybody created uh, equal, uh, dignity, worth, and value. We see the people separated. We see God choosing one people to bless all peoples. We see that one people giving us Jesus Christ. We see Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection pours out his spirit, and then people are gathered in him. But what happens in the letters that, for instance, Paul writes? I'm not going to teach the letters of the New Testament. I'm going to refer only to one passage. But we could pick any book and find this applied somewhere. Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, Paul's writing to a very diverse city, Ephesus, and he says to them in Ephesians 2, they've got Gentiles and Jews in this church, and that's a mess. It's just a challenge because they are so different. So they're in the church together, and this is what he says. Jesus brought people who were far off, the Gentiles, and he made them near. And now in Jesus, he says, Jew and Gentile are brought together. This is what he says, as one new person. It's, it's unthinkable in the first century world. But if you were a Jew, this is unthinkable. But this is what he says. He's taken different people, he's brought them together, and they are one new people in Jesus. He says, Jesus is our peace. He's broken the dividing wall of hostility, and he is our peace. You see, Ephesians 2 says we are joined together. He, it doesn't just say everybody's equal. It says people in Jesus are joined together, and that's much more powerful than equal. We are created equally. We are created equal as image bearers of God. But in Jesus, we are joined as one, as one people representing what he has done in his death, his burial, and his uh, resurrection. So that's throughout the New Testament letters. And then here's where it all ends. I'll bring us back to where we were last week. Revelation 7, uh, this is what heaven looks like. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It is that ending, but it is the story in between that is informing our ministry theme for the year, learning to love cross-culturally. This has been another 30,000-foot overview, another vision message. We will get at ground level in this series, but we're just giving the big picture again today. Learning to love cross-culturally. God wants a multi-ethnic family, and it was obvious from the day he chose Abram. 
was obvious then, and it continues throughout the storyline of the Bible, and his own son shed his blood to purchase a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. This is what God wants, and we should want what God wants. We should want what God wants. Let me make a couple of statements about application, and then we're going to receive communion together. Here's the first one. This theme, what I'm talking to you about, is not new. And that's why I went through the whole Bible, the whole storyline of the Bible. It's not new. And for us as a church, uh, we didn't adopt this idea because it was new. We didn't say, like, what's the culture really into? Let's find out what the culture's into, and let's import that in the church, and then let's make the church form around the culture. We weren't just like... It's not like the pastors of the church were scrolling TikTok and say, like, what's going viral? Let's, let's jump on that bandwagon. Oh, yeah, multi-ethnic. That sounds like a nice buzzword. Let's throw that out there. At least the young people will like it. Old people won't, but young people will like it, and we get some more young people. In. Absolutely not. This originates with the heart of God from the very beginning. We didn't emphasize this. We're not emphasizing this year, this year because it's a vision motivated by politics, some of you hear what I'm saying, and there'll be some in the room saying, I, is this a political kind of agenda? And if it is, it sounds a, a little bit left-leaning political agenda. And if you're new here, you just need to know, uh, we don't have a political agenda at this church. We, we don't have a vision to be left-leaning or to be right-leaning. We don't have a vision to be Democrat or Republican. We believe in a third way. It's called the kingdom of God and Jesus is king. That's where our allegiance lies. That's where our allegiance lies. You should vote. You should vote your conscience. But we don't all vote the same way, and we're all devoted to Jesus Christ. That's our vision for how this works out. So this is not motivated by some political idea. This is motivated by the kingdom of God. Unity and diversity is a storyline of the Bible. This idea is not, it's not motivated by the diversity, equity, inclusion movement in corporate America. I've never been to a seminar like that. We don't even have an HR department at Grace Church, okay? So, well, Tim is our HR department. We do actually have a guy. But, so I, I, I'm not informed. I'm not studied in that. Uh, I am not aware of all the nuances of that. I don't know what of that is helpful or true, and I don't know where it's false, but here's what I do know is that it cannot provide the solution that only Jesus Christ can provide. The culture cannot get together. You can get all kinds of cultural people excited, and, but they are not going to learn to love people different than them apart from the Holy Spirit giving their hearts new life. Politics cannot solve this. The Democrats and the Republicans, they don't even like their own party. They can't even get along together. How are they going to bring everybody and unified together? They won't because that only happens when you get a new heart. And that comes from the Holy Spirit of God when your heart is forgiven by Jesus Christ. That's the only way this happens. Look, I'm thankful for corporate America. A lot of you work in corporate America and draw a paycheck for corporate America. I'm grateful for the products and services that corporate America provides. I benefit from those. But they do not have the answer to unify people. They, they can drop this memo and have this policy, but it's not going to change anybody's heart. You can make us do this, but you can't change us, okay? Only Jesus changes us. The hope for the world is in the gospel, and it's found in the people of God in the church. 
That's where we get this. It's way before all this other stuff. The, the world just tries to copy the plan of God. The world just dreams that it can produce what only Jesus can produce, and it provides copies that do not deliver. I'm all for voting for just laws. Absolutely, we want justice in our country. I'm all for those things. But let's just realize the limitations of any policy, law, program, or political party platform. Let's just realize the limitations. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. So, our theme is not new. It's as old as, it's as, old as the Bible from the very beginning. Lastly, I want to say this. Our need is greater than we realize in these areas, loving cross-culturally. Our need is greater than we realize. Some people will say this. Nobody said this to me this week, but somebody will say this, I know. Um, and it sounds reasonable. If what you're saying is true and the Bible says that we are all one, then why do you have to bring this up and talk about it if we're already one? When you do, when you talk about race and ethnicity, it just divides the church. Why don't we just say, God made us one, end of the story, and go home? Why are we going to talk about this in our small groups this year and try to, uh, try to learn from one another? Why, why are we going to do that? The Bible says we're one, therefore we're one. Don't talk about race or ethnicity. Well, I hope you realize that because the Bible says we are one doesn't mean we're all living like it. If you're married, the Bible says you are one flesh. You ever have any differences with your spouse? The Bible says you're one. Got any differences? Got anything to work through in your marriage? You do. We got a whole program to address it called re-engage. The reason we have re-engage is because people that are declared one flesh before God don't act like it. And the same is true in the church. Yes, we are one, but we often don't act like it. I mean, think about your marriage. You, you got any sins to confess? Got anything to repent of? Make any assumptions about your spouse that she doesn't appreciate? Yes, you do. She told me. You do. And women, you do that about your husband. Make any assumptions that, well, I feel like you judge me by thinking that about me. But you're one. But you got some work to do. Got any misunderstandings? Especially if you're a newlywed in here. You get married. We're one. Got any misunderstandings from the way you were brought up? Maybe you were brought up in some ways and you get married and you go, whoa, I, why, I didn't show up when we were dating. I didn't know you thought that or believed that or acted like that. Guess what? When people from different ethnic backgrounds, from immigrants, from different countries, people from different races all come together in the church, guess what? There's different backgrounds, different assumptions, different expectations, and they don't go away because we said, we're one, any more than it doesn't go away in your marriage. By the grace of God, what God declares to be true of us, we spend the rest of our lives empowered by his spirit, living out what he already says is true about it and demonstrating it uh, through the process of gospel, repentance, gospel, repentance, gospel, repentance. That's, that's the cycle. So let's prepare our hearts to listen to one another and say, man, I may have some blind spots. Got any blind spots in your marriage? Same thing. I may have some blind spots. I need to learn. 
and, and let's pursue one another relationally. The, the goal this year would be that we could take the auditorium, which we're starting to have some variety, different uh, ethnicities, different people from different countries. Uh, we'll talk about that next week, like 30 different nations, 30 plus nations represented in our congregation. So we got people from different places. We're starting to come to the auditorium and we're starting to sing praises, listen to the word, receive the Lord's table, powerful that we all ended up in the same room. But let's take it from the auditorium to the living room. Because in the living room, that's where we discuss in our community groups, we discuss, we're not discussing this all year. This, every group's not about this at all. But, but it'll, we'll talk about this at various times in the year. So how do we come to the living room and say, you know, there may be some things folks have been thinking or wondering about or, or you know, let's, let's talk about that and let's seek to grow together, learning from one another. But let's go beyond the living room and go to the dining table because it's when we eat at one another's table in one another's homes that we, are, that we share a unity that is beyond everything else. There are people in this church that have never had a family of a different race at their dinner table. Not because they're racist, I'm not saying that at all, but they just never, never stepped across to another culture. There's some of us in the room that have never had an immigrant, someone who came from another nation at our dinner table, or we haven't in a lot of years. There's some of us in the room that have never had someone of a different socioeconomic level at our dinner table. It's all people just like us. We could go on and on with this. There's some of us that don't have people really of different demographic ages at our dinner table. You know, it's all people just like us. So we want to go from auditorium to prayerful living room to dinner table. That's the goal. And that's, that'll change a city when that starts happening. That'll change the world because that's just not happening anywhere outside of the church. Well, here's the last thing that we really are done. We want to relate together this year in a godly way. And I mentioned that's through humility, patience, and gentleness. We spent yesterday training the small group leaders for the entire day. Talking about this, we had testimonies from, uh, from an immigrant. We had testimonies from folks of a different race, their experience at the church. And, uh, and then we talked about how to talk about these sorts of things. We talked about um, you know, how to grow in these areas as a church. And I want to assure you, I'm so blessed by our small group leaders. They are humble and patient and gentle. But this church doesn't change because we've got some leaders that are leaning in on this topic with open hearts. It, it happens when all of us jump in and pursue relationships and friendships with people who have a different background, different ideas, different thoughts, than I do. And the last thing, this is the last thing I'll say before we come to the table. Let's stay focused on Jesus. We are not going to focus on unity this year. We're going to focus on Jesus, and that produces unity. The people in heaven, every tribe, nation, and tongue, they're not spending the whole time just saying, hey, check us out. Look at us. They're looking at Jesus, the one who shed his blood and made us one. So, we, we talk at times, we address at times the need for unity. I'm going to talk about it next week again, unity. We, we can address that topic, but the, the way we arrive at that reality is by focusing on Jesus and his work, which is the gospel, the death, resurrection, ascension, and pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That is how we're changed. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. 
To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 